This week on FX Guide TV. Happy V2 VFX supervisor Alex Fry shows off cool techniques they use to build sky domes for the film using HDR time lapses and nuke. Hello and welcome to FX Guide TV. I'm Angie Dale. Now, from time to time, we like to bring you more hands-on episodes. And this week, we join Alex Fry as he looks at Ocular and Nuke. Okay, so we had two sort of main areas that we used uh, Nuke for. There's the more obvious comping all the shots together, taking all the passes out of lighting. But we also used it for um, compiling and stitching together all of our live-action skies. Uh, pretty early on in the piece, we decided that doing pure... CG skies was not going to uh, really be practical. Um, they needed to be moving, they needed to look realistic, but they, uh, you know, were just going to be too complex to do in CG. So we decided to um, build a rig with four Canon 5D cameras um, on it. We have Three cameras here with 16mm fisheye lenses and then a fourth camera on the top with an 8mm fisheye to capture the entire scene and provide sort of a, a base image for us to work on top of. Uh, so we built the rig. Um, one of our guys machined all the mechanical parts and then we had another guy build the electronic control unit. Turns out you can't buy anything off the shelf that'll do both time-lapse and HDR. Um, off the shelf. Uh, so we set the rig up, we take 12 exposures for each frame, so we have uh, three, three frames per camera, two stops apart, and then four cameras each firing about once every four seconds. Uh, so we end up with 12 frames, 12 exposures per frame, and generally about 200 frame takes. So we end up with about 1200 frames that we have to bring back to the office, take off the cards, and uh, do something with. So what we're looking at here is uh, a stretched out lat-long version from the 8mm camera off the top. This is the, the raw image that we uh, get here. But what we need to do is take the other 16mm images and blend them in with this 8mm guide image to get the sort of resolution we need. We aim for a 20K by uh, 5K image, which gives us just enough resolution to actually get away with using it in shots. So what I've got here is just the raw JPEG images out of the camera. Um, this slot off here is from one of the 16mm lenses. Now, uh, I could go through and sort of manually, or manually organize these, figure out what's going on, but that was not really going to be practical. So we wrote some Python scripts to look at the metadata and sort the images out. Uh, so I've got a little section here, I've got a script called HDR JPEG. And what that does is look at the metadata and arrange them in space on, in the DAG based on the exposure and the time. So left to right here is time and up and down is exposure. You can see how, if you look at the metadata here, we're at 702, 08, 08, and then we're drifting into the next second here. So we can very easily see how these images relate to each other. Uh, so what I'll do now is do the same thing to these 
other sets of images from the other camera. So once I've got these here, I select each set of images and run another little Python script here called Merge and Switch LR. And that goes through, goes, OK, these images here belong to each other. These ones here belong to each other. And pops in a switch node and this little uh, HDR merge node. So inside here, we have uh, a few little nodes. Um, basically, what it's designed to do is to linearize the uh, JPEG images that are coming out of Lightroom, so they're clean and as close to pure linear as possible. We then use the slowest exposure to sort of stabilize the images. With uh, digital stills cameras doing time lapse, you end up with a lot of fluctuation caused by imperfections in the, the shutter timing. So if you've got 1 to 1,000 shutter timing, you get sometimes 980, sometimes 1024 and you just get a little bit of variation. So you want to take the slowest possible shutter speed and uh, get everything to lock to that. Uh, we then have a switch node, which takes you know, this sequence of stills here and turns it into a, a moving sequence. Now I'll just quickly do the same thing to the other ones. Okay, so I've now taken a great big pile of JPEGs and turned it into three HDR image sequences, uh, but I've still got to stitch that together into a, a single usable lat long uh, image. So I'm going to bring in a little template script that we use to join everything together. Okay, which looks something like that. It seems overly complex, but basically all it's doing is using spherical transform nodes to unwarp the fisheye plates. Okay, so this is a lat-long image created from the, the upward-facing 8mm camera. Um, this would be good enough if we just wanted to light a scene with it, but it's got nowhere near enough detail to actually use in the background of the shot, especially down here at the horizon, which is where 90% of our shots end up looking. So we take the other three 16mm cameras, undistort them, and then using uh, basically blurs, subtracts and adds a little bit like you'd be doing if you were doing a, a camera match in stereo to transfer the high resolution detail onto the, the base, uh, base image we got from the 8mm camera. And at the end here we have our high resolution 20k by 5k uh, sky plate. We render that out. Uh, this will be at the, the natural timing from the camera, so if it was a 200 frame take, we'd have 200 frames at this point. Then we publish that into our asset management system. Uh, the next step is to, we take a sky that we've um, built up there and we propagate it out into a scene. So we run a script which talks to our uh, asset management system and say, okay, I want to do scene 01A, which is the opening sequence in the film. We have a little template script which goes and grabs any existing renders we have, so uh, an animation renderer or a final layout render or a lighting render if anything exists. It grabs the camera um, and makes a scene that looks something like this. So each of these little blocks here represents a shot and it goes and pulls in whatever it can find on the system so we have something to match up to. Um, we end up having to tune the skies quite a bit for each shot, you know, maybe a little bit faster, maybe a little bit slower, maybe we rotate it a little bit because it's 
messing up the framing, director doesn't like where it's sitting relative to everything else. So we make per shot uh, changes. So we might uh, rotate it a bit, crop it a bit, um, maybe comp it in with a different sky. So the right hand side of frame is coming from one sky take, another one's coming from another one. And we end up with something like this, which is a cropped down section, which has been retimed specifically for that shot. We do a little preview comp um, based on whatever we could find on the system, kick it out and hopefully get it signed off. Uh, once everyone's happy, that, that then gets checked in as the definitive sky for that shot and we move on. So what I'm going to show you next is uh, how we go about comping this shot here. So we have a couple of major layers here. We have some foreground characters, we have some background characters, and uh, a stage, and our sky that we've generated in that previous step. What I'm going to do is bring in these uh, beauty passes here. So we have our stage, our crowd, and our foreground guys. Now you can see we've added a bunch of information to these read nodes. This happens automatically. Uh, so I can tell a lot about where it's come from and what it is. Uh, it's purple, which tells me it's on our WIP file structure. I can see which lighting artist rendered it. I can see what camera version um, was used to render it. I can see whether it's protected or not on disk. Uh, what camera version it was rendered with is the source of 90% of the problems you're going to run into on a CG feature. You know, you've got this thing from this camera and this thing from that camera. And if you don't have quick access to that information, you can spend all day chasing your tail. Uh, once we click on here, we've got a little tab here with a bunch of shotgun integration. So we can jump out to shotgun, we can um, jump to the page of the artist who's built the shot, um, whatever, whatever we need. I can't show you that here, obviously, because uh, I can't talk to Dr. D's shotgun server, but uh, that's, all, that's all there. So I've got my three passes here. Um, the next step is to go to my, our little template menu here, which works a little bit like the tool sets in Nuke 6.3, and I'll drop in a template base. Um, having fairly strict templates means it's much easier to keep um, 120 different artists on the same page, and solving problems the same way. You know, even if they want to go off the template, you at least know what it's meant to look like to start with, so it's much easier to tell when they've gone off the reservation. Uh, I'm also going to bring in my camera and the sky that was generated by someone else for me. Uh, okay. Normally I'd be pulling this in from the database like everything else, but today I'm just going to grab it from another script. So I've got my VAC camera here. This is a full stereo camera with two complete separate channels for both uh, transform and rotation and more importantly this film back offset that value here, which is what gives you your stereo convergence. So cameras are all parallel, but we're converging with the, the film back. Um, that can be quite a tricky one to pin down, especially when you're using overscan, like we are here. Um, Happy Feet 2 is all lensed at 19-20, but we expand everything by 5% to give DI a little bit of a buffer to reconverge shots afterwards. 
Um, but getting that working correctly between Nuke and uh, 3D Lite, 3D Lite acts differently if it's rendering out, um, if, sorry, Houdini rendering out by 3D Lite acts one way, Houdini rendering out by Mantra is slightly different, so you've really got to pin down all of the um, different interpretations of these values in different applications. There's also a whole bunch of additional information that gets dumped onto the camera here, um, including f-stop, which becomes handy later on when we need to apply DOF, um, and uh, window float, which comes into play when you want to uh, cheat the window backwards and forwards in stereo. Uh, there's also a bit of information up here about where it came from, so we can trace back this information all the way through our pipeline. And here we have our big 20k by 5k sky, which has been specifically put together for this shot. Okay, so the first step is plugging our sky into here and plugging our camera into our template here. Um, this node here is a sort of a Dr. D standard sphere. Uh, it's always 111 kilometers wide and is centered around the first frame of the shot. So some of our sets are massive, so we need to shift around where our origin in the scene is. That goes into a scanline renderer here. You can see our nice O1A120 sky with a little bit of, uh, I think that's probably Sydney in Sydney. Um, we come through here, add a little bit of motion blur for the shots. Uh, add some depth to the sky, just with a constant. And we have a grade map prep node. I'll come back to that one in, in a little bit. Uh, the next step is taking our render layers here. Now, right now, we just have the beauty passes. But if I go here and look at our directory structure, I can go up one level. And I can see that I've got a whole bunch of AOVs here. Now, if I didn't have some little tools here, I might go, OK, I'll just grab those if and when I need them. and pipe them in wherever I feel like it in my comp. But I've got a tool here called Insert AOV Readers. And what that does is, it's a little Python script. It looks one directory up, looks at all the directories in there, and then adds uh, a little gizmo here, which uh, inside the gizmo brings in the AOV, copies the alpha channel from the beauty pass over, checks a little list to say, OK, which, one, which passes here need to be unpremultiplied, which ones need to be left alone. Uh, because some of the data passes, like uh, P-World or um, yeah, certain motion blur passes, you don't want to unpre-multiply. Other ones that are you know, spec, beauty, you do. And you want to make this as easy as possible. So you know, often you have some less experienced artists who won't always make the right call all the time. You want to make the right thing the easiest option. That then gets plugged into there. Let's do the same thing with these guys. Okay, and plug them into the, the main tree. So the way the overall structure works here is we have our sort of background and sky coming in here. Each of these towers is a layer. And then this stream here is sort of the main flow of the comp. And it comes out here at the end and we have all our outputs. Um, now, I might just jump out of Nuke for a second. One of the deliverables that we have is the main stereo comp, but we also have five sets of four grade mats for 
every shot that have to be uh, put together an output. Um, so they're a little bit like the kind of AAVs we'd expect to get out of a 3D render and take into our comp, but we need to pass them on to DI. And they have to have all of the same things happen to them that the rest of the comp does. So if we've got DOF, we need to DOF all the layers. If we've got an effects layer in the foreground, we need to uh, hold out any of the background layers. Um, and that has to happen for every single shot in the film. So uh, for, you know, for every shot, there's five other comps that have to go along with it. But we want to do that in a way that's not too painful. Um, so what we have here is a node called the grade map prep node. And we simply pipe our mainstream in here. Uh, so at this point here, we have all of our AOVs carrying along with the main RGB passes from the comp. Uh, we haven't had to you know, do any shuffling or copying. It's all happened with these AOV read nodes. That then goes into here, and we assign a type for the layer. So in this case, it's the stage. It's made of snow. So I'm going to tell the system that it's a snow node. Um, these ones here are characters. They have different groups for the characters, one all the way up to seven. Uh, and then some other options here for you know, doing something non-standard, um, either with these override nodes here where I can pipe them into my grade mats, or these more explicit channel expressions here. Uh, the next thing is the multipass grade node which is a node that we have that acts as much, uh, as much like a regular grade node as we can get it to, but it supports grading with um, component passes. So we can deal with our spec separately from our subsurface scattering and so on. Um, so I just jump in here, I might you know, do something to my spec pass. I've got some controllers up here for saying I only want to do the key side or I only want to do the fill side. Um, and what makes it different from just you know, using a grade node is that it does the grades on the individual component passes, combines it into a new beauty pass, but then also outputs the graded component passes. So I can stack multiple multi-pass grade nodes together and have them you know, act like you would expect them to do, even though it's dealing with all the passes behind the scenes. What this means is you can set a look with a few of these nodes and go, okay, I want just the nose to be a multi point five on the spec and I want to do something else to the eyes and I can grab them as three nodes, give them to another artist on another shot and go, okay, this is the look that we've now got for our main character. Um, okay, so... So we've got our sky, we've got our background, uh, we've got a little distance diffuser node here which is just for doing a bit of depth hazing. Uh, in a way that respects all of the additional grade mats we're trying to carry through at the same time. We've got a DOF group which is based around uh, Peregrine's PG Bouquet. You can see here that we're actually running six instances of it. Uh, one for the main comp and then one for each of those additional sets of mats that we're trying to carry through. Uh, we then strip out all of the unnecessary channels that we don't want to keep because uh, at this point here we're carrying about 20 additional layers we just want to cut that down to our grade mats, our Z channel and uh, our main RGB which we're going to carry through the rest of the comp. Uh, we have a merge here it's just a regular over but um, 
it's worth noting that we were merging all the channels. So when we have grade mats for a character or grade mats for the environment, we have to have layers for all of those things there, even if it's just black, to say, uh, I've got my grade mats here uh, for my background, but I'm going to merge over some black for where the character is, so it holds out the, uh, the hero characters. So we've got some background dudes. We've got some uh, hero character. And then we come through to the optical effects node, which is just a combination of a few different um, little comp tricks just to take a bit of the digital curse off the image. We have a convolution in there, which is, um, you can see in the background here, it's just helping to blend together the pixels. It's a little high dynamic range uh, single point of light that we're passing everything through. We've got some holdouts to protect the main character so that they don't get too soft. We've got some lens reflections and a little tiny bit of chromatic aberration out towards the edge. And then we come into our output section here. We've just got a little node here to, it just crops it down, make sure everything's the correct size. Then we have our main right out. We have five additional outputs here, which kick out 8-bit targets for all of our grade mats. Um, you'll notice here that we have these names preset there. When we kick stuff off to the farm, the farm looks at the names of our write nodes and prioritizes main comps over grade mats, so we're not clogging the farm up all the time. Because as you can see, we have you know, five times as many grade mats going through the system at any one time than we do actual comps. And if you let them all go through at the same time, no one gets any work done. The main reason we use uh, grade mats is it's just much more efficient towards the end of the show. You know, if you have a shot that's technically coherent, there's nothing wrong with it, but people are still fiddling with it, it can take a huge amount of time. You know, especially if you've only got dailies once or twice a day, you might have a shot that's otherwise totally fine, but they just want the sky a little tiny bit brighter. Now, if you do that normally, Someone goes back to their desk, they load up the shot, they make a little slight tweak to it, they render it off, they check it into the asset management system, hopefully it makes it into dailies, and then someone just goes, no, that's not what I meant, a little bit darker, and you go through the whole process again. If we hand all of that control off to DI, we can just get the shots to a point where they're ready, and then they can twiddle the knobs with the director in the context of the whole sequence, and it's, uh, it's much faster, and it's about the only way you can get 1,100 shots done in six weeks. And if you want to learn more about hardcore serious nuke workflows, then check out our courses at fxphd.com. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash fxguidemuse. So until next time, see ya. For more industry news, in-depth features, podcasts and forums, check out fxguide.com. And for visual effects training, check out fxphd.com.